This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into Thursday's edition of Take Command here from Odyssey Sports, 2400 Sports. Uh, I'm Craig Hoffman. That's Logan Paulson. And... Logan, we had a plan for today. Our plan oh was, was to so do, good. and we know, look, what we can tell you is Monday's pod's awesome because we did it <laughs> earlier this week with the idea that Logan's, Logan's traveling around the country on vacation, doing his thing, uh, be, being a grown adult with a family, doing family time stuff, and uh, so we planned ahead like responsible podcasters. And then Terry McLaurin signed his contract, and it felt recklessly irresponsible for us not to ultimately come on and talk about it. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, we are going to indeed talk about Terry and, and also some of the expectations that the disconnect between what's happening here in D.C. and I think where a lot of people sit nationally. And by the way, that includes Vegas and the odds makers. So mm. um, what we can tell you is that there will be a mailbag episode for the holiday on Monday, uh, which also is nice because that means Logan and I actually get to take a holiday. Uh, and right. you, you all listening still get a podcast. So, Logan, <laughs> this this ultimately becomes a big giant win-win for everybody, kind of like the Terry McLaurin contract. That's right. Win-win for everybody. That's what we're all about. Um, so we obviously talked a little bit, and people can hear our very immediate reaction in this feed, uh, the emergency pod that was actually you joining me on the radio on, uh, what was that, Tuesday when that happened. Yeah. Now had a couple days to process it all. What where's Where are you top of mind with Terry's extension and uh, everything that, that went into that and comes out of it? Yeah, I just think it's the right kind of fit. You know, like the more I think about it, the better I feel about it. I, I'm really happy that Terry got a really good deal signed. I think that's something that I think is important for him. You know, like I think he got the highest guaranteed money of any receiver like thus far, right? And I think that's pretty fantastic. I think the three-year deal thing, it can't be overstated how important that is because, you know, one of the things you're doing with these deals is you're trying to anticipate the market as the salary cap increases. He doesn't have to worry about that anymore, right? When those three years are up, he can renegotiate, sign a new deal, new team, whatever he's looking to do at that point. I think that's that's fantastic. And then also in terms of guarantees per year, I think it feels very good for the team being in that 23 and a half ish type range which feels good. So excellent structure to the deal. 
you know, for the team, I love the guaranteed money for Terry, and I love the duration of the deal for Terry. I'm sure the team, the team probably wanted more, um, but you know, if you're gonna, if you want more years, you got to pay for those years. So that's when the contract number needs to go up. You need to be in that 25, 26 kind of million dollar range for Terry, I would think. And so I think with the structure of the deal as it currently exists, I think both parties should be very happy. I think Terry should be happy, and I think it's great that he's supported by the organization because now he can just kind of go let it fly and. Um, you know, play at a really high level, which I think is encouraging. Yeah, I really do come away from this going, this is a win-win. And I, I yeah. typically hate that term because it never feels like the wins are equal. It's like a win-win or a win. <laughs> win. Um, but like the team got a phenomenal player that's everything they could dream of and everything they need and everything that they've asked him to be. The player got a contract that is more than fair and at, not not more than fair, that is fair. Um, yeah. You don't need to get more than fair. You you get what's fair, which for Terry, fair is a hell of a lot of money. Right. And, you know, he gets that. He feels supported. He's got to have good feelings about this franchise moving forward. Maybe there's a little frustration that it took this long, but maybe not. Maybe Terry was the one who the whole time was like, no, nah, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Like We don't know the inside of that negotiation and those stories. I know Ben Standing wrote one for The Athletic and, and lots of other folks are writing about kind of the the inside game and how that all played out. So if you want more detail, obviously it's available. But the the way this negotiation ultimately plays out, it gets done before July. A lot of times yeah. these things go into July. This gets done relatively early. Could it have maybe gotten done before training or before OTAs? I don't know. But it gets done now and Terry can have a nice six week break, nice six week ramp up before or I guess at this point four week ramp up before training camp and feel really good. And I think that like full steam ahead and Terry, obviously, you know, his note was great. I do think it's a little weird how much people slobber over themselves when athletes say like when an athlete writes a, a well-written like thing <laughs> saying exactly what you'd hope that they would say, like, what was he going to write? Hey, yeah, I took the money and uh, now it's time to coast. Like, no, yeah. he understands what he was signing up for, which is to be the leader of this team, to be the face of the franchise. He's paid accordingly and good. You can't ask yeah. for a better face of your franchise. And then, you know, obviously on Terry's side of it, he gets the the $28 million up front, which that's got, I got to ask you, by the way, as yeah. a player, how, like Terry signs, he has a $28 million signing bonus. When does he get the $28 million in his account? Oh, yeah. So that's like a pretty uh, immediate thing, I think. You know, I've never, most I ever signed was a million and a half or something like that. And that's obviously different number values for sure. So they might have some sure. type of, they might have some type of payment system for Terry. But I remember, uh, I got to cash a check for a hundred and you know uh, one point five million dollars, and you know obviously half of that's taken out. There's a plus taken out because of it's over fifty percent, so it ends up being you know a little over uh, you know like seven hundred thousand, eight hundred thousand, something like that, which is nothing to sneeze at. So I nope. would imagine Terry's you know is going to be in that you know fourteen fourteen five range in a check check that goes right into the bank and. Hey, I don't. That's not a bad deal. I don't think for anybody. No, that's got to be sick. Like <laughs> that's more money than he's made in his entire career. Uh, than possibly gener. And I don't know yeah. what Terry's. Like I, I don't know that what Terry's family history is, but I'm guessing more money than his family's ever had. And and you just get it in one check, and then they keep giving you checks. That's a pretty yeah. sweet deal. Well, I remember my dad when I when, that, when this was an issue. I was like, well, maybe I should wait out for two million dollars or, or you know a million seven or whatever. And he was like, Logan, just keep in mind, it took me like thirty five years working as an aerospace engineer to earn that kind of money. So just like keep that in perspective. And I think that's exactly right. When you're signing 
a check for 14 and a half or you're depositing a check for 14 and a half million dollars. Like, you know, there's not a lot of things to be upset about. You know what I mean? Your kids, your kids, kids are all going to be riding that money. And the way the, uh, the stock market's going down, like that's compounding interest, all that kind of thing. So that's uh, that's a good problem to have. That's pretty fantastic for him. Yeah. I don't, I don't even think it's a problem. I think it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just a thing that happens. Like I, not that this is the point, but like, can you mobile deposit that? Will the bank let you be like, uh, that's a yeah, good whatever. question. Or do you have to go in and like, is it like, no, this is too much. Please come into a, a branch. Cause like I, I got, I got a bank that doesn't have a lot of local branches. So uh-huh. I, I hope that they would take, if I ever get the opportunity to cash a 14 and a half million dollar check, I hope that they take mobile deposit. I remember I was talking to Cooley about this one time and he, his, so his weekly or biweekly check was over $2 million. And he was like, and, and this, this threw me. So this was 10 years ago, 12 years ago now. And he would drive to the, to the window and put it in the ATM. And I was like, you put that in the ATM? Like, what if something goes wrong? Like, don't you go to the teller with that? He's like, no, man, like it's fine. So like now the fact that it's even like a mobile deposit thing, like that's like, oh my God, like take that into the bank, like with armed security. So to make sure that thing gets in your account. Well, that's the thing is like, I would, I would want it to be at home. I'd want it to be. (laughs) Yo, you want it to be at the house? Yeah. Like I don't want to have to go anywhere with it. Like if, if all of a sudden, like I drop it, it goes down the drain, like just like, no, it came to me. I mean, one, I would like direct deposit, uh, which is a reminder (laughs) If the second time in two days talking into microphones, I need to update my direct deposit forms now that I'm back full time here. That's a that's a different different conversation. That's between me and my uh, little yeah. Ulti Pro HR software situation. <laughs> uh, but reminder to self, do that after the pod. Right. But yeah, I would hope that gets direct deposit. I want that money direct as possible into my account. I, bet you that's I do how not want to have now. to go to a bank. I bet you that's how they do it. Now, I remember for a while, Dan was like very anti-direct deposit. Like you had to, he had checks were handed off. And the, the rumor amongst the guys was that like he wanted to hold, like, cause he held that in like an escrow account, that money, and he was earning interest on it. So the longer you didn't deposit, sure. the more money Dan got. I don't know if that, that's like, it seems like an old wives tale a little bit, but I'm sure now like with that kind of money, yeah, just direct, yeah, direct, direct deposit that sucker. Well, I do think again not to get super sidetracked but i do actually think that the money stays in escrow because i think it's required by the league as part of the cba that like the chunk of because obviously the the salary cap is a percentage of the total revenue yeah. so like when the owners get that money i believe it has to go into escrow that way the players are guaranteed to get paid so oh. actually like that might be a thing maybe there is still paper checks in the nfl i don't know we'll have to get a current player on and ask hey (laughs) we we don't want to get too far into your personal finances but how do you get paid do they give you a check can you sign up for direct deposit if your check is large do they allow you to mobile deposit these are this is the kind of journalism that this podcast is meant for this is what people want to know this is what the people want to know and they should want to know this anyway so that's what i'm saying but Ultimately, Terry and his very large check uh, is, is a good thing for this organization, and it's it's a good thing for him. And I think you know, we spent a lot of time about this on the show yesterday, um, and I'm curious your thought on it. Like, What does it say about the franchise, right? They have now re-signed the two faces of the franchise over the last two years. John Allen is is the guy on defense. He is the the poster boy. You know, you think about the rebrand and and all of that. Yeah. Like who were who were the guys they put out there in the uniforms? It was John Chase, who obviously is not eligible for any kind of mo- significant money yet, and Terry. And when you think of like the ultimate leaders, the the guys that are tone setters for this franchise, it's John and Terry. Chase, you're hoping can get back to being in that mix this year, but he's got to play first. So they re-signed both those guys in the last year. What's it say about the franchise that those two guys were willing to sign up long-term to be here? 
I think it's a, I mean, to, to put it mildly, I think it's great. I think it's, it shows the right kind of approach that the, the staff and the, uh, you know, the leadership of the organization are taking here with regards to getting the right kind of guys re-signed, kind of building something, building a culture, building an identity, which is something that's been severely lacking here for a couple of years now. You know, like they just, it, like when you look at the roster, it just felt kind of listless. It felt like, you know, pieces would come, pieces would go. And now to have like these kind of staples here. And then, you know, I think for the fan base, it's probably even more critical just keeping those guys around, guys that, you know, have been kind of bright spots for the organization the last couple of years. So I think it's outstanding. I think it's the right move. I think it shows, I want to say it shows a shift in the team a little bit. I feel like there are positive wins around the team now, which is the first time in a long time. And a big part of that's coming from, you know, re-signing the right type of guys. So I think this is the right direction for them to go, and and I'm excited for the team, and I'm excited for this season, you know, because of the, all the offseason stuff we've been talking about already. But again, a big part of that forecast was the fact that Terry would be here. So now that that's done, and football is going to be played, I think that's really encouraging. And again, it feels good. It feels good to be covering a team that's made a good decision, you know, like that, and it seems to kind of be surrounded by bad decisions oftentimes. So it's good to kind of have this this trending in the right direction. Um, I'm I'm not trying to be a cold blank or a wet blanket or, or put any any ice on this, but I am curious from someone who's played and you know obviously as you said like you you haven't signed the contract that Terry just signed, but you've been on a bunch of teams, you've been around a bunch of guys, you've had so many relationships in the league. There is a, a cynical I can't help it, sorry I'm a journalist element to me that is like yeah they also offered him seventy one million dollars and uh, twenty eight million dollars signing bonus and. Of course, he signed this contract. It's a second contract. Everyone signs their second contract, pretty much. It actually isn't any kind of real endorsement of anything other than the fact that they gave him the money. Um, And and I know what Terry wrote in his letter, and I do think he believes it. That's part of being a young player in this league. You come in, you're drafted, you start to build something. That's human nature. You start to build something, you want to finish it. Um, I I do think that there can be an extent to which we put overboard... Oh, this is a massive endorsement of Ron Rivera or Martin oh, right. Mayhew or, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. They offered him the contract that would be nuts for him not to sign. I do think it like obviously means he doesn't look at this and think it's an absolute dumpster fire where he's like, there's yeah. no money you can put on that. But I do think sometimes people get a little bit carried away with the, this means they're on the right track and, and it becomes a big giant confirmation bias. And it's kind of, you know, I, I don't, I know you're not a huge NBA guy, but Kyrie Irving went on this whole thing the other day where he was like, Oh, uh, you know, everybody's the same. I'm different. It takes people who are different to lead us into tomorrow. And it's like, you opted into a $37 million player option that no one was going to give you. What's different about that? (laughs) And not to diminish Terry and his commitment. I'm not saying that he won't, that what he wrote even isn't true, that he now feels the responsibility and the weight of the contract to be the leader that everyone sees him as even more so than he did before. But at the end of the day, this is a business thing that made a lot of sense for both sides. And by the way, both sides doing good business is something that not always it doesn't always happen around here either, and so that that I'm not saying that's a bad thing either. I, I yes. guess like I'm just trying to make sure that we don't go overboard with praising and assigning value to things that, at the end of the day, are, are just smart business for all involved. Yeah, really glad you made that distinction because what I'm pointing out here is the good business sense. I'm not saying that they're going to win a Super Bowl now. I'm not saying Terry's going to be the catalyst for that. But I do think that this is a good move, right? You get a guy that grew up in your organization that kind of handles things professionally the right way, plays the game the right way. You know, he's got the right mindset. He's not going to get in trouble, especially, you know, with all the issues. Like, 
And and as much as everyone will say like this is the most guaranteed money for a receiver, in a way they got him they got a little bit of a hometown discount, so that's good for the team that's finding value, that's hard negotiating, and good for Terry for getting kind of the incentives that we already talked about. It's good business. It's not again, they're not winning the Super Bowl because of this, but it is a stepping stone, a building block, whatever analogy you like there, that's sending this team in the right direction, which is the first time that I can kind of feel that way, right? You re-sign the right kind of guy. The pieces are in place. Can you support Carson Wentz? There's a million other questions that need to be done, but at least process-wise, this appears to be the right direction. And I think that's something that should be encouraging for fans. It's not the end-all, be-all, but I do think, yes, it should be encouraging for sure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day. Your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman, used to cover the Washington football team, uh, now a.k.a. the Washington Commanders. Uh, man, the podcast is called Take a Man. You'd think I'd have this down by now. I, you think I'd be out. I'm giving myself until training camp to, to not Washington football it too much. Uh, but the Commanders, uh, Logan Paulson used to play for the club as well as a few others in the NFL, 10 years of experience in the league. Uh, I also now host Afternoons on the Team 980. If you're a, a subscriber and you'd like to check out the radio show, please do on the Odyssey app or on 980 AM in DC, 106.7 FM HD2. If you got an HD radio, we're throwing out HD radio signals, Logan, uh, in DC. So now the question becomes in terms of the cap stuff and, and, and what it means for this franchise going forward beyond the the very direct of Terry. Like, What's next? And I don't know how much you've gotten into what this means for their cap stuff moving forward, but like when you look at this deal, do you feel like it it opens up a path for Deron Payne to resign that didn't exist here before, or now like solidifies it? Obviously, Sweat and Young and all these guys are on the horizon. But like Deron Payne's the next in line. What does this mean for Deron Payne? I think this is a good sign for Deron because I don't think this is like <clears throat> this isn't like a max money deal. It's a good deal. It's a fair value deal. Um, they didn't backload the deal. There's nothing creepy or crazy about it. Like he's going to get this money, which is good. And I think you know it's a lot of money, no doubt. But I think with the increase in the salary cap over the next couple of years, I think there is a space now to get Duran Duran resigned or uh, you know Montez if that's the, if that's the direction this team chooses to go. Obviously, I'm not a cap, cap expert, and there are people that do this full-time 365 and they understand the nuances of the cap and how each dollar amount affects possible resignings. But I do think that this at least leaves the door open for those types of conversations. Is it going to happen? I'm not going to say that. But because of the because of how the deal is structured, at least to my eye, because of the value, the, do, the total dollar value, 
at least to my eye, I feel like there is a good opportunity to get some of those other guys resigned. And that's, I think that's encouraging. Again, that's another reason why the deal seems to be kind of trending in the right direction. They didn't go out and pay him $26 million over three because that's, you know, for, you know, $26 million per year over three, which is right. kind of silly, right? Um, and they, 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 hard negotiation. Both parties are going to be happy with this, I think. And that's encouraging that they're thinking about the future. They're thinking about resigning these other guys. And um, hopefully, with the, like I said, the ascending salary cap, they can get that done. Yeah, and so the super detailed contract is not out yet. I haven't seen it reported anywhere, and Spotrack is amazing. We actually had Michael Gennetti, who's the co-founder of Spotrack, on the show earlier this week. Um, but And if Michael doesn't have the contract yet, then nobody's got it because um, they get stuff up like that. But what, what he had seen so far, and based off some of the reporting, was that the the deal was fairly front loaded. Like obviously 28 million is super front loaded. It's guaranteed at signing uh, the largest signing bonus in the history of the NFL for a wide receiver, but they've also got this big giant, like he's going to be a fairly low cap number this year, but big, big potential uh, roster bonus next year that can then be restructured again. So they, what, what the way this deal is structured by getting that $28 million out of the way and, and splitting it up over four years where that $28 million becomes $7 million per year over the next four against the cap plus whatever it's, the base salaries are. It's four uh, or three. How do they well, do it's, that? it's four because it's a three-year extension on top of this year and oh, because that money gets guaranteed at signing, $7 million of that. and that, like His new contract becomes a four-year contract. I see. And thus the 28, at least the way I understand it, uh, that $28 million then gets divided by four over the next uh or sorry, he gets divided by four over the next four years, seven million a year plus the base salary. That that is at least my understanding of it. Um, we'll have J.I. Hallsell on the on the show later today uh, as we're recording this, aka earlier, uh, as most people are probably listening to this, uh, knowing that I might not get this podcast up till at least in the middle of the show. Um, but J.I. is salary cap one on one on Twitter. Like, dude's awesome. I will confirm all this with him. Anyway, the point is, they will be able to have like they they. We're able to take on Carson because this is all intertwined, right? They're able to take on Carson at that twenty-eight million dollar number this year. Bring in Terry, extent or bring in Terry. It's still a fairly low number, higher than he was going to count if they didn't do an extension. But they knew the extension was coming, and also give themselves flexibility moving forward, which does encourage or is encouraging on the Duran front. Because I think a lot of people looked at the way some of these other deals were structured or what they thought Terry might get and said, there's no way they're going to be able to re-sign Payne and they're just going to have to make some tough choices. I don't think this locks in that they're going to re-sign Duran. I think that could be a tough negotiation because I think it's already clear that Duran sometimes feels like second fiddle to John in a way that he's not super comfortable with. Uh, so I, I think this year is really important for like the relationship with Duran Payne, but at least from a financial flexibility standpoint... They are they are in good shape. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think uh, you know, obviously, the Carson Wentz thing I think is probably more significant because it's it's a shorter duration, so the signing bonus doesn't like spread out the way Terry's does, which I think is a great point you brought up. Um, and obviously, that'll be really interesting to see how it plays out because if you're locked into that for two years, that that is a big um, restriction in terms of getting some of these other guys resigned. But you know, a lot of people are like, well, what if you cut them? What if you move on from them? I think that's still a possibility. I don't know if that shows good process in terms of the evaluation. You probably feel weirder about the Carson Wentz move, the Carson Wentz trade, excuse me. But I do think that um, 
I think that that to me is more significant than Terry's deal at the moment, you know, in terms of making it hard to re-sign guys. But uh, but again, I I think there's enough space now. There's enough space to get it done. I'm excited to see if they do get it done. I, I, you know, I'm, like I said this on your show, I think I'm, I'm just pumped up, man, to get Terry, Jahan, and Curtis on the field together and playing some football and what that does for Carson Wentz and if this offense can support Carson Wentz because if it can like it's going to be a dangerous group so now that's a big if but um like that that's that's an exciting proposition for 2023 and then I think the optimism of signing Jerron it's it's now possible like you mentioned is it going to happen who knows but um at least at least it's not off the table which is what a lot of people thought was going to happen after this deal Right. And the other thing, just to close the loop on Wentz, is let's say it works, right? Which is what we're going to talk about next. The idea that this now has a chance to be a really good offense. At least that seems yeah. to be what the consensus is around D.C. It's certainly what they think in the building. Uh, outside D.C., not so much. Again, that's what we're talking about next. But let's say it works and Carson's great. Well, all of a sudden you have a steal at quarterback. If Carson yeah. Wentz is good the next two years, let me pull up so I have the exact numbers. But he's sub thirty million the next two years, which yeah. for a good NFL quarterback is stealing. Yeah. He is twenty eight two this year, and then he is a twenty six and then twenty seven the next two years, and that none of it is guaranteed. So if if it doesn't work out either of the next two years, let's say it works out this year and next year something goes haywire, they can cut him after next year. There's no long term commitment. They could obviously also potentially restructure. Um, there's a lot of things they could do. I have a hard time thinking that the team would want to restructure if things are going well enough that they want to keep him because they can steal a quarterback at what used to be good quarterback money, but is no longer very expensive. Correct. His quarterbacks are pushing forty million dollars a year, and so you know when you talk about where's the room to keep all of the pieces that you've spent these high round picks on. It comes from the fact that you're going to be paying your quarterback, if things go well, $14, million, $16 million per year less than a lot of teams are paying. Then, then the you know the Broncos are going to be paying Russell Wilson. Then the Packers yeah. are paying Aaron Rodgers. I mean, isn't Rodgers pushing 50 a year? Even Derek Carr, I think, is a great example, who's like not yeah. a top – like he's a very good quarterback, but not necessarily a top-flight quarterback. He's looking to make 40 a year. I think they just were going to they, – they just extended him, I think, right? So I think yeah. yes, it's it's a huge variable. Like even to get good, like Kirk Cousins is a great example. That contract's gigantic. Yeah. Even to get Car, good Car, quarter- by the way, yeah, Car just to to close the loop. Uh, the, the extension kicks in next year. Okay, uh, thirty four eight, and then he's forty three and forty three million yeah. the next couple of years after that. And so think about those numbers, and then Kirk Cousins, I think, is also in that same kind of boat, forty million dollars. So those guys are not. I don't think they're top five quarterbacks. Maybe they're top ten. They're good football players. They make their team better. But are they elevating you to a Super Bowl? That's the million-dollar question, quite literally the million-dollar question. And if you get even comparable play with Carson Wentz and support him with a really flushed-out, talented roster, you know maybe you could do something dangerous. But I think I'm excited to talk about this next segment we're going to talk about. It's like the big what-ifs for this team moving into the 2022 season. Yeah, uh, Cousins, by the way. 31 this year, 31 uh, million this year. He's 30 in his age 33 season, uh, or age 34 season, age 35 next year, getting 36 million before the Vikings can move on from him. So it is, and it's like 48 million dead cap if they were to to cut him. So, like, they're he's there for the next next two years. Uh, Kevin O'Connell era is going to start with with old, old Kirk under center. Uh, I can't believe, by the way, 
I can't believe Cousins is 34. That is or about, wild. To, about to be 34 in, in a couple of days. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. Wild. Yeah, it's crazy. But I, I, you know, thinking back, like he was, he came in the year after I did, or two years after I did. Yeah, came in two years after me. So we're, that, I didn't realize we were so close in age. That's yeah, weird. Yeah, anyway. I was about to say that's. He felt like he should have come out your year. <laughs> I not good at math because that's that's like your age, right? You're 35. 35. So yeah. yeah, I guess that makes that makes sense. There I go. That's what I get for trying math. No more. No more. Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. When we do our mailbags, the best place to get in questions, either at Hoffman Show on Twitter or at Logan underscore Paulson82 on Instagram. Uh, we have a huge mailbag episode uh, that is coming on Monday, so make sure you are subscribed to this here podcast feed to get that coming up on July 4th. You can celebrate with us by listening to us talk a lot of football. But it's been interesting uh, experiencing the joy. You know, Obviously, this is the first week of, of my radio show and taking the calls and getting the tweets and seeing how excited everybody was for Terry. And I, I think now that he's locked in with that question out of the way, people are like, okay, what are they, is this team going to be? And the answer is really good if you ask a lot of people around, people that have mm. seen Jahan Dotson play like yourself, people that like what they've seen from the running backs, people that like what they saw from Wentz and OTAs. But then you look at some of the outside previews that are starting to come out. Warren Sharp of Sharp Football, who is really, really smart and is actually going to join us, or scheduled to join us. Podcasting world can get a little haywire. He's scheduled to join us next (laughs) Thursday for a a good chat here on the pod. Um, But he does rankings every single year of the skill position players, so like wide receivers, tight ends, then a separate ranking for the backs, quarterbacks he, he ranks everything in a book that he puts out as a preview every year and he was on the junkies earlier this week and and he did a good job I think of explaining where he's coming from that he is trying to rank based off of some statistical production that's in the past uh trends that have emerged over the years so like when he looks at a guy like Jahan Dotson he's obviously trying to compare him through the lens of other rookie receivers in recent memory uh it doesn't really necessarily account for how guys are going to be used um, so yeah. there, there's a lack of scheme that, that is affected uh, by all of this. But with all of those caveats, he sees the commanders as having the 19th best skill position group in the league. So that's so obviously that, below so who's average. Ahead who's ahead of uh, we, yeah, He hasn't put out the full list yet, oh, I but see. I mean, we can, we can certainly imagine some that are, I think yeah, coming up sure. with 18 might be a little difficult. Uh, so that and, includes and I, everybody that's backs, receivers, tight ends, the whole so thing. Rece- receivers and tight ends. And then he's got them with the 15th best backs. In the league. Okay. As we started to go through some of the back groups yesterday, you're like, oh, no, they're pretty good. Oh, yeah, no, they are pretty yeah. good. And, and at least I think you wind up going, some of these numbers are lower than expected because there may be more talent in the league than you realize until all yeah. of a sudden you're in the middle of the season and you're like, wow, that team's good, that team's good, that team's got talent. But I, I think it's interesting to see the dichotomy between a guy in Warren Sharp, who I respect a ton, and 
having them at 19 versus I talk to you who knows this team as well as anyone. And you're like, man, I think they could be, you know, top 10 if everything goes great, maybe even yeah. better than that on offense. I just think that's that's an interesting trend starting to emerge, Logan Paulson. Yeah, so this is a really this is really cool. And I could talk about this for probably an hour. So like let reel me in if we get going here, okay? So what what I think is interesting is is there's a couple different ways to do it. I think the analytical model is awesome. I think it's great for football because it eliminates some of the guesswork, but it does leave something to be desired, right? And I think when you look at um like to say this is the nineteenth best skill group, I think I get where that's coming from, right? Obviously, Logan Thomas is coming off an injury. We've had our conversations about Terry. Is he a true number one? Like, where would you rank him in terms of receivers? You know, like, you can get him down in that 15 range. You can get him in the 10 range, depending on how you feel about him in the tape comparatively, removing some of the off-field advantages that he brings. Jahan hasn't played a down of football in the NFL. Like, as much as I like him in OTAs, he has not played a down of football. And he has some question marks in terms of size and physicality. I like his physicality. I liked it in college, but it's a different game, man. It's a different game in the NFL. And then Curtis Samuels has not played football for a year because of an adductor injury, and then he missed minicamp because of that. So even just that, you kind of say to yourself, that group has its warts just from that standpoint. Now, oftentimes when we're casting projections, we say to ourselves, well, Terry's pretty good, right? And he and we we mentioned one of his best strengths in terms of offensive production is his vertical speed, his ability just to run by people. He hasn't had a quarterback here in four years, five years, that can push the football down the field and let him utilize that to help him with his routes. Now Carson Wentz is here. How does that alchemy of those two players coming together affect this offense? Does it create more vertical space like we're anticipating? If it does, that benefits Terry. If, if, it, if, if Terry gets that kind of respect because of the vertical speed, it benefits Jahan, even if he's not as good as he looks right now in OTAs. I think he will be, but let's say he's not, that benefits him. But again, that is a logical leap to get there. You're kind of putting two and two together. And as we know, in terms of covering football, that leap doesn't always happen. You know, like just because this player is good and this player is good and their skill set seems to compromise each other, or complement each other, does not make them a good offense or a good team, right? Which is why OTAs and minicamp and training camp are so important, not only for the evaluation on our end, but also in terms of how those guys gel together. Like on paper, Terry to Terry and Carson seem like they get along great, but Carson has a history of kind of fixating on one guy. And that seems to be Jahan right now. So can he kind of branch out and trust more than one player within an offense, right? Logan Thomas, again, one of the best kind of rising tight ends two years ago, coming off an injury, like, he's not here. So it's John Bates, who I have a lot of respect for, but he's not Logan Thomas from a catching the football standpoint. And then you're projecting a guy like Cole Turner to play. So in terms of skill positions, I think it makes a lot of sense to have them that low. And in some ways, you could argue that they should be lower because we're, we are, you and me, I, we're only arguing for projection. We're arguing if this, then that. There's been no evidence, which is what a statistical analysis does. It takes right. ex- pre-existing performance and applies it to future performance. And the pre-existing performance for this group, as we just talked about, is not great. So, again, I understand why you're there. And I understand why there's this discrepancy because we see, oh, this plus this equals great. But that's not always how it goes. And we, and we both know that. And hopefully the fans who listen to this know that as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think part of what Warren said that was really interesting, too, was exactly what you were just saying about Terry from the logistical two and two together, right? Like, 
He goes, I think Terry is one of the best receivers in the NFL whose high-end potential has been bottled up by the fact that he hasn't had a quarterback that can throw the ball down the field. And that is the inherent problem with statistical uh, models is that they can't capture what could happen. Um, There are statistical models that can do things like once you input the right data of catchable balls, you know, you know, all these kind of different advanced statistics that require a human eye to assess in the first place, you know, in like what is defined as an inaccurate throw. You know, one of the other things Warren talked about with the junkies that was really fascinating was how bad Carson Wentz has been in short range passing in terms of his accuracy. But how do you define that? Is accuracy defined as a ball hitting receiver in stride? Is it merely complete incomplete? Because that can be affected by receivers. You know, you ever you play on a team that has got a receiver that drops the ball a ton. All yeah. of a sudden, you look like a really inaccurate quarterback, or, or maybe even they don't even go down as drops, but balls that that better NFL receivers would catch. Right. Like, and then, and, and, and that's the kind of thing that can't go into a model. And so I, I think that Warren like acknowledged all this stuff, which is why I'm really looking forward to having him on the podcast, yeah. is because he is a guy that. It, it leaves room for nuance and, and kind of is very good at explaining how he reaches the conclusions that he does. Yeah. But it was interesting hearing him answer the question and give all these caveats and say, well, this isn't accounted for. And I don't know about this and this could be good. And by the way, I have them 19. Yeah. And I think the other thing about that specifically is like Carson Wentz, that's something we've talked about. Even in my evaluation of him, he misses, like he's not going to miss your body but he's going to put you at the tips of your fingers in terms of throwing the football. Does that does that analogy make 100%. sense? 100%. Right? Yeah. I don't even think it's an analogy. I think it's just a description. Yeah, a description of him. And I think when you look at the – like I think Washington drafted skill position players to meet that deficiency in his game. Like one of the things about Terry we talked about is he catches the football probably better than A.J. Brown, probably better than C.D. Lamb, at least to my eye. It's not always the smoothest, but he catches the football. Jahan, one of the things everyone talked about him, you liked him, you didn't like him, is his catch radius, right? Cole Turner, you like him, you don't like him, everyone talked about his catch radius. It's something that they really were looking to kind of make sure was here to support Carson and that deficiency, right? So again, this kind of poses a really interesting philosophical question from a T-building standpoint. Like, can you kind of amalgamate something to support this quarterback just by making sure you have the right personnel in place, having the right fit. And I think that's something that, again, a statistical model won't capture. But again, it's risky to do that because there's no hard evidence saying that, well, we get a whole bunch of guys who have great catch radiuses and Carson's production is going to go through the roof. Like That seems like it would make sense given, given his kind of accuracy issues and given his big arm, right? We'll get fast guys with big catch radiuses. Check, check, check. This should work. But in football, that's not always how that does work. And I think that's why this is such a fun this is such a fun conversation to have, in my opinion, because data says this, but like football math says something else. And football math is not real math. It doesn't always go one to one. And I think that's why it's so interesting. Because it's like and then you see then you go even a step farther back and you say, Well, Scott Turner this offseason has kind of changed how they're calling plays, more vertical passes, more deep kind of longer developing concepts. And Wentz does pretty good with that stuff. So maybe you do that more. And then maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay to ride a lot of variance in Carson Wentz's game. If he's 
launch the ball 50 yards down the field for an interception, we'll just treat that like a punt statistically. That shows up as an interception, but he's going to hit three out of four of those, three out of ten of those, and those are all going to be touchdowns. I think I did a breakdown of this uh, for Julie's show, and one of the things I found is big plays lead to touchdowns in the NFLs. So I'm talking 20-plus plays, runs, mm-hmm. passes, whatever it is, they lead to touchdowns. It's almost a one-to-one correlate with good teams. Obviously, you need to be good in the red zone, but it's almost a one-to-one correlate. So what if you just say, screw it? We're going to do what the Cincinnati Bengals did last year and just cultivate big plays. Again, that in a statistical model, that would make sense, right? If, yeah. if you've got 50, 50, 60% more big plays, the offense is going to be 50% more productive. But you're also riding the variance of interceptions. So that's something that he can't predict with his model, but it's something that I could easily forecast, easily see here, and make me really excited about the direction this offense is going. Yeah. Is he gonna throw is he gonna throw more picks if that happens? Probably, but again, you're getting more touchdowns, so it's okay. Right. If that's a one to one ratio, it's yeah. not worth it. If it's a two or three to or God you know, four to one ratio, yeah. then sweet. Yeah. Like you swing take, for the fences, right? You take that. You take yeah. that for sure. Um, also, we are getting dangerously close to my good friend Jane Coaston's idea of an all-PI offense where you just throw the ball deep every play. And like she, she likes it for college football. Uh, yeah. But in the NFL, it's a spot foul. It's an even better offense than the yeah. NFL if you can get away with it. Of course, the corner is a little bit better. But, you know, details. Who needs them? By the way, also, if football math is not real math, that's good because then I have a chance of doing it well. <laughs> that is true. Well, in, you talk about an offense that's excellent for high school football. The PI offense is excellent in high school football. It's excellent. 100%. It's, it, that's the best way to do it. I could be an OC in college football. Hey, we're running four verts again. Yeah. Receivers are like, oh, God, I don't want to. <laughs> like, we, got, we, need, we need eight receivers that we can just rotate every other yeah. snap. Hey, just you guys run things. deep, then run to the sidelines. Run deep, run to the sidelines. Get ready for the next play. Absolutely. Um, so uh, the other part of Warren's analysis that I thought was really interesting and I think might be a little bit surprising to folks is the offensive lines play or part in this because the problem that he would say based off of last year and obviously this line is is different but it's also different in that it lost Brandon Sheriff so it lost its best player so we'll get we'll get there but the idea of longer developing stuff would not work because as while the some of the the data looked really good for the the Commanders offensive line last year it was in part because they got the ball out so quick. They had a short quarterback with uh, not a very good arm who was trying to get the ball out quick and, you know, couldn't really see over the line. So everything had to be short or, you know, had to, had to happen Correct. quickly with, yeah. on some level predetermined even uh, based off of pre-snap looks. So the numbers look good. They didn't give up a ton of pressures because the ball's out like that. When you take out all the short stuff and you put in the plays were medium and and longer range throws, they were bottom 10 in the NFL in terms of pressure percentage. So can, I guess, big long windup rehashing what Warren said, and obviously we'll talk about this with him next week, but in your analysis of what you've seen in OTAs, as much as you can possibly see this without pads, but looking also at the offseason tape you watched, for Norwell and Turner and kind of understanding where all these guys fit, do you think they can afford to push the ball down the field, forget from Carson's arm and, and some of the inaccuracies or whatever you know chemistry could develop? Can they protect to push the ball down the field like you're proposing? That's a really good question because one of the things that sticks out to me when I watch the film from last year when I watch OTAs is, is the 
I, everyone says, everyone you talk to is like, oh, the offensive line is the strength of the team. And they're very good. And But in terms of like overall talent, I think there's... I think they're somewhat lacking there. I, I, you know, and I think, and that shows up on tape. Like I talked to Daniel Jeremiah at the combine, and he mentioned that, like, oh, you know, that group is, you know, I think you could upgrade there. And he said that on shows or whatever. So, and I don't disagree with him. I know in the run game, I think they could be more effective. In the pass game, I think they could be more effective. Um, and but what I will say is, like, when I was with Kyle here in Washington, statistically, at least on paper, individually, those groups were some of the. I don't say worse, but like not the best groups of offensive linemen. But Kyle was able to call games in order to put those guys in advantageous situations, down and in, down out, where they only had to win-win in a drop-back passing situation if, if he was on script and on schedule um, five times a game, which is excellent. So a lot of play pass, running game to set up the play pass, keepers, move the pocket, screens. So you limit their kind of... I need to win now type of situations. And that can be done through play calling. So is it possible they get that done? Yes. And I think that that kind of leads to a question is like, how do you feel about Scott Turner and his ability to innovate? He's shown some nice stuff this offseason. You know, he's shown kind of an ability to push himself out of his comfort zone and get into some other elements of this offense, which his father kind of developed. But again, like, you know, Kyle, we've talked about is one of the smartest dudes in football. Andy Reid is one of the smartest dudes in football. Sean McVay is one of the smartest dudes in football. Can he push himself to help kind of put his offensive line and the skill position guys in the best place, place to be successful and not just call what he wants to call? And I think that, to me, that's a bigger question with regards to the offensive line is how does your coordinator insulate them? Because a bad coordinator puts them in high-stress situations all the time. A good one knows how to limit those risky situations as much as possible. Well, and this is also one of the, you know, kind of coming full circle. These are all interrelated issues. If you're Carson Wentz, you got to help your guy out too. Like if you want Scott yeah. to help you, you got to help your guy. You got to be accurate on these short to intermediate throws. Like if you're trying to stay on schedule with the seven yard slant, you better hit Terry between the one and the seven. One, because you need to get the seven yards. And two, if you do, there's a chance he slips a tackle and that, that seven yards becomes 70 with, with him, maybe with Jahan, maybe with Curtis, you know, those guys too. But you know, Terry's got that long speed, that 4-3 stuff, where I've seen it in, in the NFL, and you go back and watch his Ohio State highlights, and, and he certainly was able to do it in the Big Ten, where he takes something short, slips one guy, and then, you know, it's a foot race, and Terry McLaren's going to win almost every foot race he's in, and even at the NFL level. And so, if you're Carson, and you've been inaccurate in the past in that short game, like, I, I really hope that that gets cleaned up, but it's the kind of thing where we've talked before. He's 31. He is what he is, or sorry, yeah. he's what is he? 29. Uh, he's he's not a, a young player, right? right? He's not he's not a spring chicken. His mechanics are pretty well locked in. Of course, he can be coached. He's he's 29. He'll turn 30 later this season, but he is what he is to some level, and and I just don't see a world in which that gets cleaned up, and, and the question then becomes to, again, wrap all this up, bring it full circle, did they draft, sign, free agency, et cetera, players who can make up for that? And if so, what does this offense look like? And that's kind of the fun part of the projection is right. these are these are the questions where, okay, he's inaccurate, let's bring in a huge catch radius guy like Jahan Dotson. If it plays out like we think, then we've gotten rid of that problem. Now our offense is on schedule. Now our coordinator right. can, can help our O-line out. 
and we can get these shot plays. We can run the offense that we want to as opposed to I missed my slant on first and 10 or I missed my screen pass and, and took it out of timing. And now instead of getting eight yards, it's a loss of two. We're in second and 12 and the whole operation is botched. Yeah, and I think that's why I think that's that's one of the reasons why I think I am maybe higher on the team than like national pundits, for example, is because I think that I think they've done the right things to support Carson. I think the offense looks like it's going to support him. I think the skill position players are going to support him. I think Scott's going to support him, and I think Scott has done a nice job of showing some innovation that's going to support the O line. I'm I'm obviously very optimistic about that to the tune of saying they're going to win 11 games as opposed to eight. But I do think those are that's a reasonable thing, assuming that all of those kind of in those those boxes are ticked off, right? And I think that's a reasonable thing. And we won't know for sure until we get to training camp. We won't know for sure until we get to week one. But I do think that the process, and this is something that I think a lot of fans have a hard time with, and this is something that like media people have a hard time with. The process was sound, right? The decisions they made, the acquisitions they had, it's sound. It's good decision-making. The problem is, is that if it doesn't gel the way you need it to gel, then the process looks like, looks like, looks bad, right? And if it looks <laughs> bad, then fans don't right. understand that level of nuance, right? And that's, that's where it gets really tough for this team. And that's where the fans get upset. And if the fans get upset, then... You know, you're back kind of into the into the end of last year, where nothing was going well for the team, nothing was going well for the organization. Yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, that's it. That's all for this week's edition of Take Command. If you liked it and you're not subscribed, what you waiting for? Now is a good as time or good of time as ever. <laughs> Subscribe now. There you go. Just hit the button. Uh, <clears throat> Apple Podcast, Spotify, Odyssey app, wherever it is that you are listening. Uh, again, mailbag episode on Monday. It, it's really, really good. Uh, we know that because we recorded it already. And uh, I promise you, I'm not just just blowing smoke. It was really cool. We got into a bunch of different stuff. So you want really good football talk Monday. And then Warren Sharp is set to join us next Thursday as we pick back up after the holiday. Uh, for Logan, I'm Craig. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next week on Take Command.